Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Just want to encourage you. Uh, this has nothing to do with my message as much as just in praying over the church, praying for you. I want to encourage you um, that God is faithful to his promises. What he has spoken, he will bring to pass. You just have to have faith and patience, and you will inherit the promises. God is faithful to his word. God has not forgotten you. Turn to a couple people. Just say, God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to dig into uh, a topic that I believe the Lord laid upon my heart. It's not a new topic. It's not a new vision. It's not something that um, is beyond what we already know, but it's something that we do need to focus on and commit to, and that is the theme of discipleship. Discipleship, when we talk about being a disciple, we're talking about becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's what the church should be about. It's what every Christian should be about. When we talk about that as a theme, we have two banners, one on this side, one on that side. Uh, we have it up on the screen, discipleship. Now, I understand it's not anymore beginning the year and having the vision of discipleship. It's not as appealing as the year of breakthrough. It's not as exciting as the year of prosperity. It doesn't have a catchy uh, appeal to it like, well, a year of miracles or a year of destiny. But if we are true followers of Jesus, if we love his word, it should capture the heart and the imagination of every sincere follower of Jesus. To be a disciple is really the essence of the New Testament, of being a follower of Jesus. Now I want you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with a year of breakthrough, a year of prosperity, a year of destiny, a year of the miraculous. But it's, well, what's critical is that we get things in the right order, the right priority this morning. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, say first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things will be added unto you. What are all the things? Well, the things that Jesus talked about leading up to that. Worrying about, we worry about our food, we worry about our clothing, we worry about our finances, we worry about material things, we worry about all those things. Receiving those things in the right order. Seek first the kingdom. This is a promise from God. When you put God first, God promises to take care of those other things. Now, God promised that. I didn't promise you that, but God promised it. And what he promises, he will fulfill. Amen. Now, there's a verse of scripture in uh, 3 John, and it goes like this. Beloved, I would that you would prosper and be in health. Isn't that good? I would that you'd prosper and be in health even as 
your soul prospers. Now, that's a verse of scripture that uh, in a, a, a season or a period of time in Christianity in America and, and maybe the last 20 or 30 years, some have taken that scripture and made a doctrine out of, out of it that's gone to an extreme. It became known as the prosperity gospel, where it was all about having money, having material things, having fame and fortune in this life, and, and it got out of whack. And what happened, I, I believe that is an extreme. I believe God does want us to prosper. God does want us to be in hell. But I believe that was an extreme doctrine that went all the way over to this end. And what a lot of Christians did and a lot of churches did, they reacted and went all the way over to the other extreme. To the point where we stopped believing in healing. We stopped believing in prosperity. We stopped believing in those things. But I don't believe either extreme is right. I believe we need to stick with what the Word of God says. But, but here's the key. What does the Word of God say? Beloved, I would that you prosper and be in health even, even as your, even as your soul prospers. So what is, what is the apostle, what is John saying? I, I want you to be in health. I want you to prosper according to your soul prosperity, according to the inside, what's working on the inside of you. And that, that gives you the balance because if you are properly uh, healthy or uh, healthy spiritually and your soul is developing, your spiritual, the spiritual part of you is growing, then those blessings will flow and, and, and be received and, 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 and you'll be grateful for it and it'll be in the right order and it'll be very good and very healthy for you. So the problem is we as Christians, we put the cart before the horse, so to speak. We, speak, we seek prosperity and blessing in the material sense instead of the, the spiritual part of us. So the question becomes then, do we want the promises of God or do we want the God of the promises? Oh, I don't know if you heard me this morning. Do we want the promises? Some people want the promises of God and they lose sight of the God of the promises. We have to put God first. Do we want the privileges of a relationship with God without the responsibilities? So discipleship as a theme might not be as exciting or as appealing as prosperity, dominion, breakthrough, destiny, all those that you might see on banners or you might see on social media or, or somebody might, might declare that this is going to be a year of dominion. There's nothing wrong with those, but nothing could be more biblical and relevant and necessary as it is today than to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I once heard uh, the story of a large international uh, preaching and teaching ministry years ago. Um, they did a teaching series resource. Uh, they made it available through their ministry. And the, the, the title of it was The Life of Obedience. The Life of Obedience. They put the CDs out. This is going back years ago. They put their books out. They sold few, very little. The life of obedience. It's not catchy. It's not appealing to your flesh, to your human nature. 
So, so the marketing director of that ministry uh, came up with a little creative idea. So they changed the title to How to Be Outrageously Blessed. Just change the title. What happened? They flew off the table. Everybody was buying them. How to be outrageously blessed. Same teaching, different title. I should change my title. Instead of becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus, how to be blessed and prosper in 2022. But nonetheless, the scriptures tell us, beloved, I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So this morning, as we look into this theme of discipleship, I believe if you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, God will bless your life. He will bless your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be trials. But the reality of it is you will be putting God first, and he will bless and honor that. I'd like to just take a moment and just show you a video, if we can just get that video ready, of someone who is seeking God first and who is serving God and what a blessing it has been in their life. Well, for me, it, it, was, it came down to accountability. You know, I went through a time where... I consumed myself with work on Wednesday nights and I was missing a lot of services and I definitely felt a disconnect to the church. I felt a disconnect to God and I was praying about it and the word accountability came to me and I needed to be accountable. So by serving it definitely makes me accountable to God, it makes me accountable to church and it makes me accountable to the people who are dependent on me to be here for serving. For me, it's been the building of relationships. Uh, not only making my relationship with God stronger, but relationships inside the church, um, developing friendships. Um, by serving, you get to, you really get to know people going on missions trips, going to NISOM, you truly get to know people and talk to people. Um, you know, when, when my dad was sick and my dad passed away, the overwhelming response and support that I had from the church, it was so awesome. I just felt if I wasn't serving, you don't get to develop the, that friendship or those relationships with people. And I believe by serving, it makes your Christian walk so much easier. Obedience. I think we all need to be obedient to God. And we're all commanded in the Bible to, to serve others. And for me, I think people, your relationship with God becomes stronger. Your relationship in the church becomes stronger. And it just a huge impact when you know that you have other Christians that you can turn to um, at any time. If you would like to begin serving here at Victory, please fill out a connection card. They can be found in the seat pockets in front of you. Once you fill out the areas you are interested in, you can drop the card in one of the boxes following service on your way out. Someone will be in touch with you soon. 
Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 18. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we begin this series on discipleship, the notes, the message that I share this morning, we will dig into a little deeper in our life groups on Wednesday night. We will interact with it. We'll have opportunity for questions, for participation, but it's important that we stay engaged, that we, we truly learn what God has said in his word. I'd like to entitle this, Making Jesus' Last Command Our First Priority. What was Jesus' last commandment? He says, go and make disciples. Well, I want to look at this all-important topic. When we talk about discipleship, it can conjure up different ideas, different meanings in people's minds. For some, it can be uh, uh, too complex of a topic. Some, it can be confusing. For some, it's just a little complicated. But what we mean when we talk about discipleship is rather simple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who learns to do what Jesus does. You know, when we talk about, um, you know, disciple, we might not uh, use that term in other fields or in other areas, um, but the concept is very familiar. You know, maybe, maybe in, in, in sports you might have a younger coach who is mentored by an older coach, a more seasoned, experienced, and uh, successful coach. Maybe it's in investing. You might be a protege of Warren Buffett. In medicine, we don't call it discipleship. We call it residency. A resident learns the practice of medicine by observing and imitating a more experienced physician. Another example would be uh, a beginning uh, electrician or plumber who learns the trade by coming, becoming an apprentice. What that is, they are really becoming a disciple of that particular uh, trainer in that field. And so when we talk about becoming a disciple, we are talking about becoming a learner, a pupil of Jesus Christ, and learning his ways and also reproducing his ways in our lives. So rather simply, a disciple is a Christ follower who learns to do what Jesus does. In a complicated world, I believe that's refreshingly simple. We're talking about simply following Jesus and teaching and showing others how to follow Jesus themselves. 
Some of Jesus' first words, his first words in the Gospels were simply, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and see. It's simple. We confuse it. In the church world, many times we complicate it. It is very simple. I didn't say it was easy. Hello? Being a true disciple of Jesus Christ will be the hardest and most difficult thing you've ever done. But it will be the most rewarding thing you've ever done. And the most pleasing thing you've ever done in the eyes of God. Now the Gospels were written primarily, John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31, the Gospels were written primarily to show us Christ, the Son of God, and that through faith in him we could have life, eternal life in his name. So the Gospels, John tells us that. Matter of fact, why don't you turn there? I think it's good to see it, not only hear it, but John chapter 20, the end of the Gospel of John. Verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, see the word disciple, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. We experience change in his name through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God. So when we say discipleship, it's Jesus' last commandment. So it should be our first priority. But what we find in churches around the world, and most particularly in the United States, instead of focusing on the big D, for discipleship, we focus on the A, the B's, and the C's. What is that? What is that when we refer to the church? A is for attendance. What people want to know, how many people go to your church? If it's a lot, wow. If it's a little, ooh. How big is your church? We had a worker uh, just a few weeks ago on the extension of our building, and one of the things he asked, he says, he says, Pastor, how big is your congregation? Attendance, A. Another one is B, buildings. How big is your building? These are questions that people ask pastors and people ask other church people, and it's, and it's almost like a comparison game. How, many, how big is your church? How big is your building? How many go there? How many square feet is it? And then the C is cash. What's the budget? What's the weekly income, the tithes and the offerings? So, so we tend to focus on the ABCs, but when I look in the Bible, Jesus was never focused on those things. I, I need you to get that. When we look in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which are... Uh, Jesus' messages to seven literal churches, seven real churches of that day, Jesus never brings up the topic of attendance, buildings, or cash. 
That wasn't a concern. That wasn't an issue. So the question is, why is it an issue with us? Why is it an issue, especially in American culture and even around the world? Why is it an issue? I believe it's ego. I believe it's pride. I believe it's wrong motivations, wrong priorities. See, our American mentality is bigger, better, supersized TV Christianity. How many of you are still with me this morning? See, we become more concerned with the outward than in the, with the inward. What does the word of God tell us in 1 Samuel chapter 16? God had to rebuke the prophet of God. God had to rebuke Samuel and say, listen, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the inward. God looks on the heart. So what should be our priority? What, what should we be majoring on as, as a church and as Christians? Not the ABCs, but D. Discipleship discipleship. Jesus ends each of his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with some form of the Great Commission. And we're talking this morning about the Great Commission being go into all the world and make disciples. Making Jesus' last command our first priority. To grow churches to grow ministries, we have to do it through discipleship. You see, we are good at making decisions. We make a decision for Jesus. A lot of times in a crusade or church service, if you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand. So people raise their hand. All right, if you, if you really believe, let's say a prayer. Dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I accept you into my life. I, I, I'm born again right now. Now, you might be and you might not be. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's all you do. One famous evangelist, I believe it was Jonathan Edwards, he, he, he did this great crusade and someone came up and after says, how many were saved? He said, I'll let you know in six months. Because we just go by, oh, people raised their hand, people filled out a, a, a decision card. Statistics showed that, that when all these cards, when all these hands were counted and all these decisions were, were uh, tabulated, uh, we found out the world was saved seven times over. Meaning that people raised their hand dozens of times and people filled out cards over and over and over again. So, so this is critical. This is something as a sobering reality because Jesus, you know, he had the multitudes following him, but Jesus never focused on the multitudes as much as he focused on the disciples. Matter of fact, when he had a multi multitudes following, he turned to them and said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself and let him follow me. Wow. That sounds kind of novel. That, that sounds kind of, you know, counterintuitive to the way we look at church at nowadays. Nowadays, it's if you have all the bells and whistles, if you get, you get a crowd and you've got a lot, a lot of people, you're successful. Not necessarily. Are people becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? What is a disciple? One 
who learns to do what the master does and teaches other people. We want our church to grow through people like you and me that are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. See, it's not enough just to say we're a follower of Jesus. Our life needs to back it up. Our life needs to show it. You know why? Because people don't do what you say. They do what they see. Hello? Churches, according to church growth studies, churches grow three ways. Number one, they grow through biological growth. That's the sweet sound of babies crying in a nursery. Babies being born to parents, bring them to church. And so, so those little children, those babies, children grow up. And, and, and so one way is biological growth. Another way is transfer growth. That's people going from one church to another. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we do it in the right way. If we go from one church to another and bring our baggage, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our, our hurts to the next church, we are only going to sabotage that or poison that church with our bitterness and unforgiveness. So what I always like to tell people when we have a membership class, if they've come from other churches, I say, please leave your church the way you go in the go out the front door, not the back door. Leave it in a healthy way. Bless your pastor, bless your church, speak well. If you are critical and negative, it's only a matter of time before you'll be critical and negative of that next church. How many of you are still with me this morning? So there's biological growth and this transfer growth. And then there's conversion growth. And the problem is a lot of churches that I've seen grow on the backs of other churches. What I mean by that is people migrate from one church to another. In a lot of church, in the church world, it's who has the best show? God help us. Is it about a show? Is it about the, 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 the presentation and the lights and the sound and the music and all of these things? Are we just, are we just adopting a mentality of, of the world, of marketing, that we have to do it bigger and better and greater than another church because we're competing with them? God help us. You know how many souls there are in the state of Rhode Island if every church just concentrated on reaching the lost, our churches could not contain them. But instead, we steal sheep instead of winning the lost. I'm just sharing this with you to, to train you, to help you to understand what we should be about is not stealing sheep and trying to get people come to, from other, one church to another, but people who don't know Jesus. Jesus said, go into all the world and, and make disciples. Not decisions, but disciples. Not just a hand raised or a sinner's prayer prayed, but people who now become followers of Jesus and taught and instructed in what that means. What does that mean? And we're going to get into that. What it means to follow Jesus. Now, in, in first century uh, rabbinical teaching, uh, a rabbi would have, would be training someone and they would be called a disciple. And in one of the writings, the blessings, uh, or the blessing that a, a, a parent would pray over their child who was being discipled, they would say this, I pray that the dust of the rabbi would cling to you. 
what they meant by that was that you would be following so closely that the dust of the rabbi's feet as he walked along would cling to you. It, it spoke of a commitment to follow hard after, to follow closely. When you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus ministering and preaching to the multitudes, but he literally invested his life in 12 men. When Jesus went to heaven, when he ascended into heaven, he didn't leave behind a big church. Imagine, he didn't have a mega church. All Jesus had were 12 disciples. Matter of fact, he, he probably at one time had 500 disciples. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to 500 after his resurrection. But he told them to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they endued with power so that they can become witnesses unto him. And so when they began to tarry and wait in the upper room, we know on the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 left. So there might have been 500 that were in that prayer meeting. After a few days, no Holy Spirit. Waiting a few more days, I'm going to go home. Imagine missing out on the day of Pentecost because you didn't want to wait a few days. Think about that. Jesus said, go tarry. That means wait until the promise comes the Holy Spirit so you have 150 that are waiting and it dwindles down to 120 so Jesus leaves his gospel ministry his international worldwide ministry to the 12 then a larger group of 120 he ascends into heaven and all he left behind were 120 people in the world's standards in the world's uh, assessment that would have been a failure but Jesus had a plan. Yes, he, he knew that if he invested in a few, poured his life into those who were committed to fully devoted, become fully devoted followers, fully committed their lives to Jesus, that he can change the world. I like what uh, I believe it was John Wesley said. He says, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I don't care one whit whether they be clergy or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. He said, give me 100 men, I don't care if they're preachers, clergy or not, ordained or not. He says, as long as they, they, they hate sin and fear God, they will shake the world, and set up the kingdom of God. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist who had a fifth grade education, who went on to become a powerful evangelist, he founded schools, Bible schools, was instrumental in, in, in founding the YMCA. God used him so powerfully, he had a fifth grade education. He once heard, sat in a small Bible study in London, England, and he heard the preacher say this, or the teacher in the Bible study say this, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man or a woman who is totally yielded to him. D.L. Moody heard that, that phrase and he said, I want to be that man. And he totally yielded himself to God. Totally devoted himself to be a 
follower of Jesus. And God has used him powerfully. And today there's still a, a Bible college called Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. This morning, we're here to commit and recommit to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to commit to this becoming a disciple, but also to be a disciple maker? That was Jesus' priority. That's what Jesus talked about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many of you, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And then done mighty wonders in your name? Wow, that looks like some, some real serious Christians there. Verse 23, and then I will de declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. Here they were proclaiming all these great things. And, and, and today it might be put in this vernacular or this terminology. Lord, didn't we build great churches for you? Didn't we have a big ministry? Didn't we do all these things? And Jesus will say, did you do the will of my father? I remember preaching and ministering in Liberia at a pastor's conference. And I remember the topic I talked about. I talked about David uh, and how he was faithful to, when he was anointed to be king, he was faithful to take care of the few sheep of his father. And I remember speaking on that topic. And afterwards, at the end of the conference, we had opportunity for testimonies. And there was this one elderly pastor who got up and with tears in his eyes made reference to my message and said, I was encouraged through that message to not quit the ministry. Because in the world's eyes, or he might have felt insecure that maybe his church wasn't that big or he wasn't accomplishing much. But when he understood that he was ministering to precious souls and that God would bless and reward him for that, he was encouraged to continue on. To know that he was doing it unto God. This morning, the understanding needs to be that, you know what, it's critical that we become followers of Jesus Fully devoted followers, not following from a distance, not following from afar, but following closely. There's a quote that I came across. Research shows that 70% of churches in America have no plan or strategy for discipleship. Seven out of ten churches have no plan or no strategy for discipleship. Another statistic shows us that 90% of Christians will never lead one person to Christ. Think about that. Nine out of ten Christians will never lead one person to Jesus. But people will come to church. People will go to churches Sunday. Maybe they'll come on a Wednesday night. Never get involved in a ministry. Never lead anyone to Jesus. Never serve in any capacity. And they will profess to be Christians. I, I don't say that to condemn anyone. I say that to awaken us to the reality of what Jesus said when he talked about people following. Will you turn with me to, to Luke chapter 9? I'm going to bring this to a close. Luke chapter 9.
verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds pretty impressive. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he was letting him know right up front? Listen, if you really mean that, I want you to understand it's not going to be easy. Then he said to another, follow me. But he, the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to all who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. That's a little different than our easy believism. Why did Jesus say some of the things he said? Why did Jesus say to people, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your own life. If you want to follow me, you've got to, you've got to take up your cross. Now, when we say take up a cross, we're thinking of a beautiful gold chain with a cross. We're thinking of something we put on the wall, a nice cross. But when Jesus was saying that, it was an instrument of death. To, have, to carry a cross meant you were going to an execution. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, he, he, he was saying, listen, you're going to die for the faith. Are you willing? And he says, if you love your father, your mother, your brothers or sisters more than me, your own children, your own life more than me, you're not worthy. Wow. Why would Jesus say that? You know one of the reasons why? Because he knew, he understood half-hearted devotion in the kingdom of God will never make it. Unless you know the price that is to be paid, the cost that is to be paid, if you don't understand that, you will quit at the first sign of hardship and the first sign of tri trial. So why is it so? Why should we want to follow that way? Because that's the way of the master. Because he had a joy that was set before him. So he could endure the cross. He could endure the suffering. You and I, why would we do such things? Because there's a joy set before us. Because there's, 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 a, there's a cross to bear, but there's a crown to wear at the end of it. There's a Gethsemane, there's a crucifixion, but there's a resurrection. Why? Because we believe that there is a, a pearl of great price that we go and sell all to buy that field because we know the value of the kingdom. We know the value of a relationship with God. This morning, I want to challenge everyone that is, that is here this morning. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you make a decision to truly become a disciple. But not only become a disciple, but also to make disciples. Let's do it right here. Let's do it right now. Let's begin the process like never before. Maybe some of you have been discipled over the years. Maybe some of you are a disciple, but we all acknowledge that none of us have arrived. We can all become a better disciple, amen? We could all make disciples, amen? Why is this critical? Because it was Jesus' last commandment. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. It will be the very thing he judges us by, the very thing he questions us on. What did you do with my last commandment? 
Did you make disciples? May the Holy Spirit just blow away the chaff of our culture, even our church culture, that brings about such confusion. You know, I, I was in another African country, and, and before the sermon, they had one of the pastors on staff get up, and for, you know, in Africa, the services are three hours, four hours, so we're going to let you out early. Before the sermon, there was a sermon. A staff pastor got up, and for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, he explained the gospel and what it meant to follow Jesus. So I reached over to my, my host and I said, what, what's, you know, it was in another language, so I was getting the translation, but I was trying to follow and understand what was happening. He says, because of this so much false doctrine, unfortunately, a lot of it coming from the United States and Europe, they had to train their people on what, it, what the true gospel was. Because there were many gospels. And this morning... What I'm trying to say is that we need to get back to the basics of what it is to follow Jesus. And then when we put him first, the blessings will come. If we seek the blessings first, we're getting the cart before the horse. We got the wrong priorities and we're going to miss out on what God has for us. Would you stand together with me this morning? There's a, a fictitious story that's told of Jesus and the archangel Gabriel in heaven. Gabriel asked Jesus what he did while he was on earth. Jesus told him that he went there to start his church. Gabriel asked how Jesus accomplished such a large task. Jesus explained that he gathered the few key personnel, 12 disciples, trained them with his words and, he told, and how to tell others his word. Through his example, they were to be the leaders after he left and carry on the work of the church. Gabriel pondered what Jesus had said and then asked Jesus, well, Jesus, what if they fail? Jesus graciously responded, I did not give them that option. We don't have an option to fail in this, brothers and sisters. Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. If we don't pass on the faith, the true faith, we don't pass on a true representation of Jesus Christ, what will the next generation do? We are fighting against so many cultural crosswinds, a, a, a tsunami of immorality uh, overtaking the church and creeping into the church. And if we as the people of God don't take a stand for what is right and what is true, what will happen to the next generation? Brothers and sisters, failure is not an option. We need to commit ourselves to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to, to not miss church. Be faithful in church. Come out to life groups. Be in a small group where you can interact with other people and talk these things through. Ask questions and grow in your understanding. We all need to grow. We need to grow together. What am I asking you to, to get involved in serving in a ministry? Get involved. We heard a testimony of someone who in a crisis in his life had phone calls and, and people ministering to him because he developed relationships. Not because he was special, not because there was favoritism shown to him. No, because he developed relationships and organically people connected with him. Some people wonder why nobody calls them. We don't see you. 
we don't even know who you are. Amen? You got to get involved. You got to get connected. And then the body will minister to the body as it normally, as God created our physical body. So I'm asking you to get involved in a minute. I'm asking you to become a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple. It's not enough to make a decision. Become a disciple, but also commit to disciple someone else. So that means on Wednesday nights for your life group, if you begin to disciple somebody, our life groups will double. Hello? Oh, I know, I know. It's not as exciting as a year of breakthrough, a year of prosperity, a year of destiny. Our destiny is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Commit to disciple somebody else. Just simply saying, listen, do you need to have all the answers? No. Do you need to, to know the Bible backwards and, and forward? No. All you need to do is know a little bit more than someone else and say, come on, let's just follow Jesus together. What did Paul say? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. May we be able to say that to other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. Father, I just pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit to grip hearts. Lord, I know if we could only get a few people to commit to discipleship with all their heart, what a difference we will make. What an impact we will see. God, may we be awakened. May we be shaken. May we become aware of the need not just to make a decision for Jesus, not just to raise our hand, not even just to come to church, but to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Father God, bless your word to our hearts. God, bring conviction. Let there be a commitment. Let there be a consecration and a decision to become what you want us to become and to also make disciples, even of nations. God, use our church to impact our community and also to impact our state and our world. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would flow through us. God, even as we heard, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man or a woman who's fully yielded to you. God, may we become those people. May we become those Christians that are yielded to you that you might work through us in some amazing ways for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you this morning.